Upsflyer presents Winning in the Nordics with Anneli Nash. Welcome to Winning in the Nordics. I'm your host, Anneli Nash, and I'll meet some of the most interesting marketers, investors, and app developers across the region to learn from their success stories. I'm the founder of AIM4, your partner for digital marketing and growth, and this podcast is a collaboration with Appsflyer. Appsflyer provides mobile marketers with the technology they need to grow their apps and create exceptional user experiences. I'm here today with Jon Kåre. He's the co-founder and former COO of Oda, an online grocery company and Norway's first unicorn. He has first-hand experience from hyperscaling and process improvement from Oda and also eight years of experience from the Shipset Media Group. With his exceptional talent for getting things done, which we will talk about later in this podcast, uh, John has helped countless startups with investment through his venture capital firm Skyfall Ventures. But before we get started, uh, I will try to summarize a short introduction to Oda and Skyfall. Oda is Norway's leading online grocery store that now wants to share their solution to the world. Using a data-driven methodology with focus on sustainability through the whole chain, Oda is building the most efficient retail system in the world. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Oda can be described as a technology and logistics company. You will have to comment on that later. Uh, Skyfall Ventures uh, is an investment firm based in Oslo, Norway, with a team that has hands-on experience from building and scaling companies. Skyfall only invests in Nordic early-stage companies with a strong software component as a core. The firm started out by founding teams consisting of at least one technical co-founder or coder, and now focus on Web3 and blockchain infrastructure, uh, digital immersion and metaverse, next-generation retail and e-commerce, business productivity tools, climate tech, and bioinformatics. John Corey, that's quite uh, an intro, but welcome. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for having me on the show. Awesome. So uh, I think we want to start with the whole unicorn a bit. Uh, when you were building Oda and when, and when you're looking for uh, investments, what are you looking for to see if they have unicorn potential? I think like w- one important part, like the unicorn uh, description, it, it's it's related to evaluation. Uh, and if you look back, what's behind that valuation, it's uh, uh, very often revenues and results from a company. So obviously, to get such valuations and, and uh, you have to build a product or a company and solve a problem in a market that is large enough. And I think the way the unicorn stamp has been 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 used in this in this business, it's more like a, a, say a gold medal that you've you've done something good. I think that's more important for us than than actual valuation. And and, and that that's not it. so. So of course, market size is important. But then again, if we meet founders that said, "I want to build a unicorn," um, that's not quite the pitch we're looking for. You need to be really ambitious. You need to dare and be bold to believe that you can build something that has a huge and great potential and your ability to formulate and tell that story of what you really want to achieve. And I don't think it's very easy to, to reach those levels if you're not really passionate, if, if you're not strongly, strongly purpose-driven. So that's also what we're looking for, the reason why someone wants to build this. And, and for us, the building of a company and, and making a difference is, is much more important than and the unicorn itself. So it's more like it's a great achievement and it's a, it's a proof of quality stamp. And I think we're, we're obsessed by teams. It's not easy to build a great company. So, so you really need to uh, have the skills 
to do such a thing. And, and we're also a strong believer of, of strong teams. So the ability to gather really talented, intelligent people with the purpose, looking for or setting out on a journey to do something really big is, is what we're looking for. And I think an important part from, from my experience from Oda and also what we see from the most successful companies that in the world, but also that we've invested in is that they have a strongly complementary team. They know how to fill out each other. Um, so I think to summarize, like the, the market size, uh, of course, needs to be uh, sufficient, and, but also the purpose and, and the passion that founders have for what they do and the reason why they're doing for what they do and also the skill set they have that they're able to, to both be, be really good at what they're doing, but also maybe more important recruit people that are smarter than themselves uh, and also want to buy in on that journey. Mm, yeah. And when we talked, uh, because obviously we have pre-talked a bit, you also talked about like the fact that it should be a real pain. Um, how do you like determine that? I, th- I think it goes back to just like innovation as a concept, uh, business as a concept. Uh, if you're running a successful business, business, you're solving a problem for someone that someone is willing to, to pay for. And uh, I think it, it's an important part to not have a technology looking for a solution, but to be much more problem oriented or uh, to really see that what we are aiming to solve really is a pain and a problem for 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 your potential customers i think that's in a way the basis of of both innovation in in general and also business creation and um, uh, so so that's also a part we're we're focused about what what is the pain and what is the problem you're you're actually solving i think is pretty common within the startup dimension space but then again also how do you actively work to validate that what you believe is a pain for someone else actually is a pain. And I think that's quite interesting. A lot of, it's a bit contrary to how we started Oda because none of us have, had ever worked in the grocery industry before, but obviously we have been in, in, the, in the grocery store a lot of times, but we often like founders that has maybe worked for quite some years in some industries and they really felt the pain on themselves and also on their colleagues. And they know that the business dynamics, but, um, I think if, if you're able to to relieve pain from, from a potential customer, then you're into something. Yeah. Can, can you share a bit more of the Oda story, like from the very beginning and like how it took off and stuff before we go into more breaking it down? <laughs> yeah, I think a bit special with Oda. We were, when we started the company, where we, we were 10 co-founders and, and being such a big team, I think everyone has their story uh, on how how they ended up starting this company. But, but for me, it's it, back to pain. It, uh, I worked in Shipstead. I saw all the competitors for Shipstead popping up. Uh, it was companies that had never existed before. Shipstead was a 150-year-old company. Uh, and one thing I noticed was that all these new competitors, they built their own software themselves, uh, enabling them to do deliver much better quality, much faster, much more cost efficient. And it was in the middle of the, the web two evolution of the internet. And uh, so I really, and I worked a lot with these problems in, in, in Shipstead and, and trying to figure out how should we as a big incumbent uh, uh, maneuver here. Uh, so very obvious or very 
what should I say? Uh, I, I saw a lot of, of, of the potential within technology. Uh, mm. At the same time, uh, in Norway, the grocery market is maybe one of the few markets where you can build a really big company nationally. Mm. Uh, so we saw the potential is really big. And I think for me, my, my light bulb moment was in a grocery store Friday, autumn Friday in 2007, where I said, it must be possible to get these damn groceries in a much, much better way in 2007 than, than me walking around here. Mm. And then it just started, I think it was a lot of uh, triggers that started this idea. And I, I spent three years just thinking a lot about it together with a good friend. And um, in 2010, uh, my friend worked with, uh, with Carl, which is the CEO, CEO in Oda, and told him this idea. And he was just like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> uh, so I think uh, for, for the older story, that, that moment was, was really important when Carl said, I want to do this. Uh, and I said, um, I want to do it with you. And, and we spent some years trying to find out how to do this. Uh, I think a really important part, is, I think for Oda as, as a whole, but, but uh, at least for me, was when Eric Ries launched the Lean Startup book because we were thinking of this, okay, I can raise 100 million kroners and just go out with a big bang. Uh, and then we suddenly understood that, one, we re really need a tech team aboard. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we can do this in a much more MVP way, uh, spending much less money, try to iterate and, and learn on the fly. And I think that was an important aha moment for us. And then, then in that period, we found seven... Um, seven other people that were uh, able to create beautiful stuff with code, both, both front-end, design-wise, and, and full-stack and back-end. Uh, and I think this thought was growing on, on all of us, but we really didn't see how we should do it. And then it was almost like uh, a last shot. But, um, but what we did was that we reached out to a, a competitor or a player that delivered this service at that moment and say, okay, well, do, do you want to do this together with us? And they said, yeah, we can do it. We, we, we see that you can do some things better than us. Uh, and then they invited us to, to their warehouse. Uh, and we saw that this is not that hard to do. And I think that was the moment where we saw we can actually do this ourselves. And uh, that was the final push we had to say, okay, now we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, there is a lot of your story that is a bit different from other stories I've I've heard. I mean, you were so many co-founders, you didn't have experience from the uh, from the industry from before, and and still you managed to to build uh, Norway's first unicorn. It's quite interesting. But uh, now you're in that uh, the competition. How was the competition when you started, and and how is, has it changed throughout the years? How how much of the market does Oda stand for today? I think, I think when it comes to the competition back then and still now, uh, it's still the brick and mortar grocery companies that is the competitors. I think I'm not fully updated on the numbers, but I believe around uh, three to five percent of the Norwegian market is related to either Oda or other uh, uh, online al alternatives. But I think for us, it was, I think we had this dream that we wanted to build a product that was 10 times better than alternatives. Mm. Uh, I, I usually say it, we wanted to build, we felt we had the Nokia 3110 and we wanted to build the iPhone 14. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't think we're there yet, but, but um, the user experience and the product uh, has become really, really good, and we have a lot of customer love. So, and it's all about changing habits because I, I, 
I like to say if you if you never if you never never today in 2022 never had been to shop groceries before and you had two options you can either go in your car drive to a place walk around in a building picking all your groceries and then standing in line uh, and do the traditional process or you can sit home in your sofa with a, a great um, digital experience and just all of a sudden you have this friendly driver in your doorway with your groceries piled. Uh, already sorted to just go in the dry area and the, and the cold area. I think if you ask people that question, it would be a pretty easy answer. That of course I want to, of course I want to do this in my living room. But I think it's really long-standing habits that we we still uh, or Olo still has to to compete with. But um, and it, it takes time. You saw the pandemic really boost boosts uh, this because people didn't have an option, but but Olo has been able to keep the customers after the pandemic. So I think it's it's just. Uh, we believe that in a matter of time, when the young generation is growing up, they've never been to the grocery store because they, <laughs> they're not they're known to see the older car coming. So, um, uh, but but in terms of comp- competitors, it's still the incumbents, the brick and mortar uh, yeah. stores, and and it's it's all about habit change. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, I mean, my next question was going to be like, how does Oda uh, grow today? But is that about habit change then, or is there something else? Um, it's, it's of course, uh, I think it's still a lot, a lot about habit change, uh, getting people to understand that this is just, just a better option. I think one, one important shift and uh, part of that ambition about building this iPhone versus the Nokia 3110 has been to understand what are the parameters you, you, you consider when you're choosing where to buy your groceries. And I think for us, it's been convenience. It's been the range of, of uh, SKUs. It's, it's been the user experience and also price. And um, I think that differs also older from, from if you see traditional e-commerce grocery players around the world that we have even though we know this is a value add and a more convenient action, we still want it to be at the same price level as the the lowest price stores. Uh, but I, I still think it's about, of course, treating your existing customers very well, making sure that they really love uh, your product and couldn't imagine a world without us. Yeah. Uh, but, but still uh, persuade other people to to be as smart as our existing customers. <laughs> but but this is an interesting topic. Like, how do you really change habits? What are your, th- like, how do you influence someone to change their habits? I think um, I have to, I, um, most of my time in, in Oda, I spent uh, um, chasing employees for our warehouse, building uh, building out a logistics system. So I haven't been, I haven't been fully on like the growth work we've had. But I think in in the early stage, we it, it's also a bit dependent on what kind of user group you address. I like in the early days, I was uh, a lot around around driving and delivering to meet meeting customers. When something went wrong, I had to skip dinner and then go out and fix the solution. And then, I mean, the amount of customer love you got was it was just immense. Uh, I was remember I was driving around saving Christmas for a lot of families, and I got a lot of hugs from my customers and. and uh, so, so just I think for many people that really felt this pain, it was just to get out there and, and um, spread the word. I think in, in the early days, media was really important for us. Mm. Uh, and so we got a lot of media coverage, but in the same time, we got this like underdog 
stamps so yeah. people really cheered on us mm. uh, I think that's a bit harder now when when we went from being the the small cute startup that people chairs on and now we're considered to be a, a giant company so that that's uh, that's a change but but of course we also worked on on how to create growth loops in our product we pick up the bottles from from people when they're uh, when they have empty bottles and and work mm. with stuff like that but so, so, so I'm, I'm not fully on, on our growth plans yeah. going ahead, but, but it's um, a lot of marketing. But I, I still think an important part of that has been uh, also the product. It's, it's hard to say. Like, I think we, we like to see this as like a product as a whole. How is the product experience? And I think just in Norway, we were, were the first company to have high at colonial.no or high at oda.com as uh, the email address from our customer support, where mm. we saw that all, all our competitors or, or everyone had, do not reply, we don't want to talk to you at some <laughs> companies. Um, yeah. And uh, the tone of voice, our customer service, all these things, we've, we've also done, I think just the word of mouth as well has been important. Yeah. Uh, but to just create, a, uh, like one of our behaviors is, uh, we, we went from value to having values to having behaviors. And one of our values is love uh, in, in terms that we we, uh, we should create an atmosphere where people love to work at Oda, where, um, where our customers loves us. And so, so just that, yeah, just creating that brand and that, that presence in our customers' lives as some, like our, our vision is provide space for life. And mm. to really make people feel that we're providing space for life so that they can do things that really matters and we will solve the rest. So mm. I like that. It, it's also like a bit different from faces. Like in, in the start, it was all about media. Now it's more, more traditional marketing work, but we really have to be up top tier in, in how you perform. Yeah, yeah. But, but you were kind of getting into uh, maybe the, the last theme that you mentioned in the beginning on how you build a, a unicorn, which is like teams and culture and organization uh, with the values and stuff. Do you want to share a bit like um, uh, what what your views are on, on those topics? Yeah, I, I think we were pretty... Uh, some, some of the things I worked a lot with within Shipstead was lean uh, methodology, uh, continuous improvement and how you create the culture that drives continuous improvement. Uh, and also how do we build lean processes with no waste so we're much more efficient um, so we were really aware of that we want a really strong culture of continuous improvement of empowerment of people and, and spend a lot of time with that in the early days to 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 construct an organization and a culture that would would uh, would last um, uh, I, I've been really uh, inspired by Henrik Nieberg from uh, we're working a lot with Spotify and Minecraft uh, as an or, from an organizational psychology point of view, talking about how do you create an, an organization where you have aligned employees but also empowered employees uh, that know where we're going and they're able to make their own decisions and and uh, and run. And uh, also been really inspired by Daniel Pink. He's written this book called Drive, mm -hmm. um, but where he talks about what motivate, motivates people and its purpose, autonomy, and mastery. So I've been really focused from the start to to create a strong purpose. We want to revolutionize Norwegian daily, uh, the grocery business. We want to create a purpose. Uh, no, we want to create the, provide space for life. 
to have a strong story, we want to really do something big and, and to use that as a story that the whole company really feels pride around. Autonomy is much what I, I refer to with Henrik Nieberg and, and a lot of his thoughts about uh, if, if you want great people to thrive, you need to give them room so they can also be allowed to, to blossom and, and, and make their own decisions and put, put a mark on the organization. Uh, and the last thing is mastery. If, if you're able to uh, salute people that really does great things and uh, and make them feel feel well and feel that they're master, uh, they will also really thrive at work. So I think, and, and the proof uh, for me that we've succeeded with these thoughts in the early days was that when we changed our name, we had recruited a lot of people and we did this survey, what is your expression of being in Oda? And this was in 2020, 2021, and I was so, so nervous when the results were presented. But the, the, the summary of that survey was that I've never worked a place in a place with such ambitious people. It's crazy. It's really cool. And I really love it. Never worked in a place with so many talented people, but I've not worked in a place where all these people are so helpful and really wants everyone to succeed. And that was like for me, checkmark, we've been able to, to, to keep this cultural fun, uh, fundament from, from our thoughts in the very get-go and, and, and um, preserve them during a lot of rough times. Yeah, and during a lot of scale. A lot of scale. And I think it was, it was really, I think, in a way, at least my experience, that when I felt the real DNA of the organization hasn't been in the days where everything is going as usual. Of course, building a... Uh, e-commerce grocery company it's it, things not always go as usual but we've seen through the really heavy growth periods that that's where our, our culture really has um, developed and, and people have really thrived on hard problems really continuing to deliver that customer love uh, and i think just a proof of that was in the pandemic then are like in weeks when 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 things shut down in Norway uh, in weeks are are um, the demand for our service tripled and then you saw the the passion in the organization and within three weeks we were able to 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 handle an increase from like twenty million kroners a week to sixty million kroners a week wow uh, which was a lift we never thought that would be possible but we saw that. With that culture and also with those people, um, I think we were one of the few e-commerce players glo globally, at least, what we picked up that really were able to meet that demand in such a fast way. And I think the reason for that was our culture and and, uh, and also, of course, the people, which is another thing that, that is also important. I mentioned it a bit when we were looking for the teams that... Uh, we've all said, it, it, I know it's a cliche and, and maybe not everyone agrees with it, but we've said like A players hire A plus players. And it's uh, how, do you, how do you consistently search to attract and recruit people that are obviously better than you. And uh, as I said, after four and a half years, I, I uh, resigned the COO, uh, both in terms that it's, it, it had been four or five really hard, tough years, but also because the the person that wanted to take my job was obviously much more experienced and um, especially in the company at that time, he was a better choice for us. And I remember, I remember the day Carl called me and said that 
Andrea wants to take your job, and I, I could never, I couldn't been happier because it was both a bit of a relief that that someone else would would take over like a hard job, but but then again, for for us, he was a role model, and and we had dreamt about having him as the COO in the company, and when he really wanted to join us, that was, I think, one of my greatest moments ever. But we've also been able to to recruit better and smarter people than than us in the founding team along the way and that has also built a combination of, of a really strong a really strong talent base and if you have the right culture and the right talent when when things like the pandemic hits you you're also able to to deliver outstanding results yeah yeah uh, I just have to uh, kind of feedback back on that. I, I just have a, had a similar situation where I had a colleague coming and, and kicking me out from like a certain setting within the company. And, and you become so darn proud and you're like, okay, I'm done now. Someone else is better. I'm moving on. <laughs> I'll, I'll do something else. <laughs> so that's fantastic. I can really feel with that. Before we move on to the next topic that we're going to talk about, we have a lot of marketers listening to the pod. Would you mind sharing some data about like how the users uh, behave between the web and the app and like what the typical user journey looks like? Yeah, uh, I think we, we started the company in a really MVP way. So we built the web store, we built, the man- we, we built everything ourselves to be able to move fast and have a special purpose technology for what we're going to solve. And we started with a with web page. Uh, of course, understanding that we we needed an application or, or a, an app uh, in place. And I think it took maybe one year, one and a half before we launched our app. Um, and what we saw was that especially the most uh, loyal users like the 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 professional uh, auto users were really fast to adapt to the app and i think it, it didn't take a year before well over half of, of our customers used the app and we saw that the majority of the revenue came through that so it's been it's been a really important tool for us in order to to create that product we we want to deliver to our customers um, but we still see the web is important. It's of course it's a big screen. It allows you to 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 do other stuff. But also in terms of marketing, we see that when we do a lot of digital marketing, it's much easier to get people into a web website uh, and onboard them. So I think we see that for the heavy users and where the most revenue is coming from is is obviously from apps. But but the web is also important to try to test out new things, but also especially in the onboarding and recruiting process of customers, uh, where it's easier to get people from Facebook and other ads into a web page and, and make sure they have a beautiful onboarding process. And then it's easier when people have done that commitment to, to actually make them download that. But that said, when we launched in, in Finland, we did that with App First. So uh, there it took some some time. We Of course, we wanted to launch fast and, and be in the market, but we saw that uh, having an app was was uh, first was was the most important thing, and we were able to. I think we was uh, on, on the top list of downloads of apps in in, uh, in Finland. And funny thing, there we see that in Norway, iPhone and, and the App Store is is by far the most important uh, marketplace to be in. But in, in Finland, also Android has a much stronger position. So mm. that's learnings we've seen from there. But I think. Uh, also, an important aspect for us uh, um, that that like 
we see the app and the web, it's tools we use to create a much uh, broader uh, customer and product experience. As I said, like our vision is uh, provide space for life. And, and in that suite, uh, of course, the, the, the app and the web is important tools for us to, to be able to fulfill our, our promise to the customers. And of course, with the app, you have a lot of great opportunities with push notifications and, and keeping the dialogue close with the customers. But I think it's, it's important that, that the culture we have in the warehouse and the passion the picker has for the customer, the meeting with the driver, uh, our logistical system that enables us to deliver high quality at low price. All these things are, are also important parts and tools in that whole package. So I, I think that's at least our view on, on, on these different channels and tools that uh, it's not only about the, the order app, it's, it's about the total customer experience and, and, the, and the promise we want to deliver on to, to our customers. I, I really feel that when you're uh, talking, there is so much love and passion for the customers. It feels like it's like in every little piece of uh, it's the love to the employees and uh, the love that they share and so forth. Um, it sounds fantastic. Also interesting to hear that about the customer journey. I, I just out of curiosity, you're in Norway, Finland. Where are you uh, more? Um, uh, as of now, we're in Norway and Finland and, and yeah. uh, launching in Germany uh, early next year. I think that's the plan. Mm, exciting. And uh, as I said in the beginning, you, you, I think I read that you view yourself more as a, a logistics and technology company than a grocery uh, company. Is, is that correct or not? I, I think, as you said, it's not that common that people with no industry experience and uh, enters a business and with such a great team. And I think we saw from a lot of other industries that they've been disrupted by technology companies. Uh, and we saw that the great, the big problem we had to solve uh, when we started, it was, it existed fantastic uh, web stores and, and customer experiences in those term, terms. And we knew that's proven that's, we have a lot of, of great examples to look at, but what was like the holy grail in e-commerce grocery is about uh, efficiency in logistics. If you're not able to do that in a Formula One uh, matter, uh, you're not able to make money and you're not able to deliver groceries uh, and the product to the customers. So, uh, and I think I've said it a thousand times, but people said, no, it's impossible to make money on, on groceries online. And then I said, if Elon Musk is able to send a rocket uh, into outer space and land it autonomously uh, in the Atlantic Ocean, then it should be possible to also create a valuable or profitable value chain within e-commerce grocery. And I think for us, and that's also what we saw with other competitors and what we saw with the companies winning the disruption game, that was they used technology and they had really high skilled programmers and engineers creating the solution. And we knew that this is where we need to be the best in the world. And I think like if we, we hadn't been able to create such an efficient logistical system with technology, uh, then, then we wouldn't be where we are today. So I think, I mean, we're selling groceries uh, or all those selling groceries, uh, but the opportunity to sell a lot of stuff or other stuff or do a lot of other things is, is obviously there. But I think we've always seen technology and tech and code as, as our DNA 
much more than yeah. than, than groceries. Mm, interesting. But it's time to move on from Oda and start talking about Skyfall. Uh, so what types of investments are you doing now? We're looking for... So, we're looking for software companies like we're living in the in the time and age where where the distribution uh, capabilities of great software is immense uh, the possibility to solve global problems from anywhere in the world is present um, so we have like you mentioned some of our focus areas like in norway where we're settled we have a pretty uh, sector agnostic uh, view as long as it is software and you you have the ambitions in place uh, and you're you're ready to to set out on a really exciting journey uh, but we also have a nordic mandate but we, we see that if we if we should be able to attract the best companies and, and work with the best companies in the nordics we we have these focus areas where we we spend more time uh, looking into where do we believe the future is going and I think all, all the, the the things you mentioned, it's it's all trends that really has a big impact on, on the global scale. So looking for people the world. Are, yeah, uh, looking for people that are building software uh, companies with a global uh, potential and with global ambitions. Mm, nice. We were also uh, talking a bit about the fact that we have like war and recession and we had a pandemic and there's a lot of other things going on the, in the world. And and I think many people maybe uh, become afraid in this situation. You become hesitant, you take uh, less risk and so forth. How do you think this will all affect us? In, in one way, I think it's a lot of macro perspective or macro factors today that uh, it's a lot of uncertainty for sure and, and when it's a lot of uncertainty it's it's uh, it's a bit hard to know where the world is going uh, but at least i think we're aware of most of these risk factors uh, but for me i, I tend to be more uh, enthusiastic when when problems uh, we talked about problems earlier but a friend of mine uh, gave me the book, this book in the summer, which is called The End of the World is Just the Beginning. And it was really pessimistic and say, we're never going to see a year, a year like 2019 again. Now it's just going downwards. But what I feel a lot of these people talking about doomsday and everything looking black is that they forget the power of innovation. And I think... As I said, okay, when did you really see Oda thrive? When the pandemic hit and we really had to deliver. And I think humanity, in, in all of humanity's history, you've seen that when you really have to do something, then the innovation starts. So I think looking at this perspective, I really do, I acknowledge it's, it's a lot of really great problems that really needs to be solved. But I, it makes me curious and enthusiastic in order to understand, okay, what are these problems and who are actually able to solve them? Um, and I think if, you've, if we've seen the, the company generation the last 20 years, for example, it's, it's companies coming out of the, the technology, the startup phase with, with these kind of mechanisms with really purpose-driven, incentivized to top-talented people also backed with the with, uh, smart capital and i do believe we're seeing it right now and i also think that this will be enforced going ahead that both talent and capital will be addressed into these problems and i think within these areas we also um, not only hopefully solve the problems we have today but i think another interesting thing about innovation is that when technology evolves 
you're not only able to solve the, the, the known problems, you're also able to solve things you never would be able to imagine. So I think even, even though it's, uh, you should respect that at times a lot of people are going through, but I still think it's in, in terms of creating new companies, solving new problems, it should be a really exciting time for, for founders. And, uh, but, but I think it's also important for founders to, to really think about what kind of problems do you actually want to spend your time solving now, because the time is right for resolving some, some really big issues. So um, just playing with an uh, idea then, uh, one of the biggest problems today, I think, is uh, psychological health. So like people are not feeling uh, as good as they used to. Like if I would aim to solve that issue, which is a huge issue, it's affecting so many people throughout the world. Like how would I go about that? Because it's huge. Where do you start? I think that's in a way some of the magic that we're looking for, I think. Uh, as I said, you need to address people. Now, no, you need to address problems that are big enough uh, in order to make at least to attract risk capital as, as venture capital is. Um, and I think it's it's the combination of being able to draw that long-term vision and ambition on what you want to do uh, in a five to ten-year perspective and see this is this is something we're re- really ready to solve. And then I think the hardest part is is not to define what it should look like in two, three years or uh, one year. It's it's what should I do tomorrow? Mm. Uh, so so uh, I think that's what we're looking for. Those that are able to really create that appealing vision of this is something that we really need to solve. And then also can show us the plan that this is where we'll, we'll start. This is the, where we'll, where we see the problem is biggest now. This is where we can get traction. There is where we can get proof of, of our ID. Um, so it's, it's the combination of both having like this lights, light tower in, in the, in the horizon, guiding you to the right direction, but also being able to see, okay, how can we deliver something next month, uh, that yeah. actually creates value, uh, and see how these things can build on top of each other. And, and then, yeah, both looking into, okay, what's, what's the most urgent problems, but also what's the most feasible way to actually validate and see that we're onto something here. Yeah. So we go back to Eric Ries and uh, the MVP again. <laughs> I, I think that's important, but, but, but I think to have this lean startup approach to things because you, you, you're able to do, you're able to fail fast, learn fast, to do so much more in a shorter time than any other approach. But I, I still believe you need to have that long-term vision because you can't iterate on 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 the long term long term vision that you're aiming to solve. So it needs to be mm. uh, both the long term perspective combined with the really short term perspective. I think that's what we generally see with the companies that really really succeeds. Mm. And and like if you're gonna solve these types of issues, let me just. Um... I'm going to remove all plastic in the ocean or anything like that. Like, how do you see capital to innovate? Like, maybe there is a way to transform a plastic that we don't know about today. Or I, I don't know. Like, how do you see capital when you need to innovate to find the solution to your issue? I think it's, it's not one single silver, silver bullet here. Uh, and unfortunately, it's, it's also about having sustainable or unfortunately but but it's also an aspect of, of having a sustainable business here uh, mm-hmm. and i think you need the talent you need the capital so that the talent can actually um, 
start working on these problems. But I, I, when it comes like the plastic and, and climate change and, and the climate um, and problem, I think one problem that we see is that for companies, because okay, you need talent, you need capital, but you also need customers. Mm. Uh, and when it comes to that space, I don't think the 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 need for the companies to really act. You see, a lot of companies are doing stuff, but it's more of an ideological perspective. Um, but then then you're you're really you, you have to have those people that are pushing it, and you have to have the customers that are pushing it. But I think. For, for green tech to really, really thrive, you either need to, to create a solution that is just obviously so much better that, that anything else would be uh, be a stupid decision. But I also think politics and, and, and taxation and stuff like this also need to be in place because you need to create the incentive for the customers to actually buy these products or to actually change the, their behavior. So, so so not one silver bullet, but it's a whole ecosystem that really needs to work together. and. And I think we see a lot of positive things um, happening. Um, maybe, or not maybe, it's not happening fast enough. But mm. uh, looking back at the macro picture, you see when when it's constraints on energy, when it's constraints on, on other stuff and food, uh, these crises also push forward that need to, to think differently. And uh, my, the, the, the guy who took over the COO job for me said, like, you never uh, underest or, or never missed opportunity to do good in a crisis mm. because of course it's you, you you wouldn't like to be there but when you're first there you should really try to use that situation to to do great stuff and i think i think we're seeing a lot of great innovation happening uh, due to the macro picture we have today and hopefully these things will just continue to deliver great products and solutions so that we'll end up in a much happier place than we're we're at today a new 2019 but improved <laughs> I, I i think like one one thing that i have a bit problem with is with the energy you see like uh, we have to use less energy we have to use more inefficient ways of energy because it's renewables uh, but it's still all about having scarcity as an element of energy and if you look at a lot of the geopolitical issues at least in the 19th or in, in the last century it's it's been real a lot of them has been related to scarcity of energy so mm. uh, what will happen if we should increase that scarcity on energy i would i like much more as those people that say no energy should be too cheap to meter and, and to see how can we do these step changes not only solving the problems we had in 2019 in the way we did in 2019 but actually yeah. create opportunities that will will open up new new possibilities and uh, a, a better 2019 is what i'm hoping <laughs> in other words we, let's innovate and create the future we want uh, th this is so interesting, but we're uh, getting to the end. So I'm, I want to kind of wrap it up a bit with uh, more um, uh, questions related to being a VC today. Like I, I can't not talk to uh, someone doing that without, uh, uh, you know, uh, reflecting on the current uh, valuations and investment landscape that has kind of come to a halt. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I think it's it's several interesting topics around that. Of course. Uh, the, the Nasdaq has gone down. The interest rate has gone up. Uh, capital for 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 uh, growth companies are much more expensive than it was. Uh, I think some sort of co correction is 
is good just for the health of the market because we've had some years behind us, which has been pretty crazy. And uh, I, I think, but, but then again, it's, it's a bit back to, uh, as I said, what, what is unicorn valuation? It's, it's a mathematical term with, uh, okay, you have some multiples on your revenue or your EBITDA, uh, which then again reflects on how popular are your products, how many people are willing to, to pay for it. And uh, I think the room for, I, I think the room for creating any product and being able to raise money for any product has increased uh, quite a bit. But as I said, we still have a lot of great problems that we really need to solve. And uh, what I do feel is that if, if you're a company working on these kinds of problems that will have a demand in the future and will be able to create revenue in the future, uh, there is still capital available and there, there's still uh, interests in investments. But, but but for sure, I think a lot of companies has really felt that it's, it's much tougher times to raise money. And uh, of course, it reflects the uncertainty in the world. Um, when you invest in a startup, you invest in the future. Yeah. That's one thing. And the future is more uncertain now. Uh, and then, then your risk appetite for, for investing in, in something already risky has maybe become uh, not that high. And then, of course, you have the interest rate, which gives you other alternatives and, and just increase the cost of capital, which is also an important part. But I think Ray Dalio said that it's almost like the physical laws that interest rate has a gravitational force on everything. Um, mm. but, but I think my reflections now, is we're still looking for great teams because we have seen several of times that great teams can create great, great products, great companies and deliver value. And I think it's still okay. We're investing in the future, so so, and there's a lot of really important problems that needs to be solved on the global scale. Uh, just take for example, when you have high interest rates, you have high inflation. Product, the product, uh, no business productivity tools is really important because you as a business need to get much more out of each dollar uh, in the future. So I think it's important for founders with ambition to build companies now to really, okay, what's the, what's our ability to, to um, sell products and, 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 and uh, be able to, to get revenue in the future. And with, with all the changes in, in the macro picture, yeah, that's important. Mm. Um, yeah. And then again, I, I like to say that it's when you're starting a company, you're spending a lot of time, you're working 24 seven, you're, you're really doing a sacrifice. And I think, now is the time to really ask yourself is what i'm building now so important that it deserves my me spending my time on this topic because we we often see a lot of great team with a lot of uh, great great people that that we're sure can build fantastic stuff but then we see uh, what they're aiming for is is maybe not that fantastic uh, and i say mm. okay man you have this we're living in a fantastic time with, with immense opportunities on the technology level that the world has never seen before. And when you have such a great gathering of people, uh, I would really like to see founders reaching out for the, for the things that will change the world so we can get, get a better version of 2019. So really, uh, collect a good uh, team and then decide which of the world's problem you're f- gonna solve uh, and yeah. then set out to do it. Yeah, and I, I, I like think just, just one last thing, we, we talked about it in, in the mm. pre-talk and I think also an important uh, thing to remember 
is that if you look back 20 years and see the, the massive and almost exponential development we've had in so many places, uh, it's really changed the world in for almost all, every people in, in, in a lot of ways. And I, I don't believe that that uh, evolution or revolution will stop or slow down. I think we will continue with technological innovations and and creation of, of, of new new products in the same speed, if not even faster. Uh, and then it's it's hard for the human mind to to understand the concept of exponential things. We we tend to look linearly looking forward, but when we look in the back mirror, we see that things are going at ex exponential speeds. So I think also it's, it's important to remind yourself that where we're living in a time where most likely things will continue to develop in a rapid pace. And with that also comes the opportunities to create new great stuff. Yeah, uh, I actually wrote down exactly how you phrased that, or I think how you phrased that last uh, time. You said people think about the future as linear, but I uh, believe it will continue to be exponential. Uh, I would want that to be kind of the end, but I have one last question. I have two last questions. Okay, uh, so the first one is, you, like Skyfall is one of the first VCs in Norway because the kind of the capital scene between Norway and Sweden isn't really uh, the same. Like, um, do you mind sharing a bit about that? Yes. So, so we're not the first, but but I think if if you consider compared to Sweden, it's uh, it's still pretty immature. I think uh, both number of, of investors and number of experienced founders were were. were outnumbered by 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 sweden uh, i think what's interesting there is that um, if you look back to to pre-internet boom uh, you saw that norway actually was a bit ahead of sweden and uh, it, it was so a blossoming venture industry coming up related to the internet or the dot-com boom but what we saw after the dot-com boom then sweden were able to continue the creation of companies uh, successful companies while we saw i think in norway uh, oil and gas and uh, other industries where we're having their heydays and we're able to attract uh, those talented people and which means that in sweden today you have both a lot of capital but you also have a lot of people with the right mindset with the right experience and this is an ecosystem and the flywheel that just accelerates and i think that ecosystem is much bigger in, in, in Sweden than in Norway. And I think that's also one thing we saw with building Oda, that it was, we didn't know anything about venture or that it was something called venture capital and stuff like that. We a bit naive uh, with, with our big dreams. And I think for me, we saw the lack of, of, um, of numerous uh, venture capital companies in, in Oslo and Norway. And it, it's, not the most important part when building a company, but it's an important part of that ecosystem and flywheel. If you don't have the capital and the people that can support you all the early on, it's much tougher to be to build big, mm. build the big companies. So I think for me it was my meeting with Sinevik, which uh, is an investor in Oda, to just meet them and see that they they were so aligned with our our like insanely ambitious plans and and dreams. Uh, they had the experience. To just see how they worked, we really wanted to to understand how do the best international VCs work and how can we learn from them and, and summarize and synthesize their way of working into a pre-seed seed stage in Norway. 
and and that's our ambition with Skyfall to to really be able to to give some of the value that the best VCs out there deliver to their companies, but only in a much earlier stage in a, in a more much more in, immature uh, startup ecosystem, which is is we're we're getting pace, and I think it's it's a lot of really interesting things happening, and we're really working hard to to get up to speed with uh, with our neighbors, but um, we still have work to do. But I think that's that's why I also felt it was right to to um, say goodbye to Oda and, and um, contribute with that experience into building the Norwegian ecosystem. Uh, and I experienced a lot of of, um, of gratitude from the companies we work with, and, and that it's a lot of things I have in my experience and my knowledge base that they really like me to share so and it's also i think what attracts me most is to be working with early stage companies where where things starts off mm. gives me a lot of energy. nice so final question uh what haven't i asked you about that i should have asked you about oh that's uh i, I would say i was really impressed by the the your summary of our pre-talk and i think uh, i think we've talked about a lot of the things that that for me is really important um, so it would maybe be just a short summary I mean as I said we're, we're living in such I, I should really wish that I was 25 26 with the program <laughs> engineering background knowing everything I know now it's and to just be able to to create something in this today because the opportunities are so so immense and the, the possibilities are so many. So, so I think you covered it good, uh, but but just for the people going out there with the dream and, and believe they have the ability to gather a strong team around a strong story, uh, then go for it. Awesome. I think that's even a better ending. So thank you, uh, Jon Kora, so much for being here and sharing all your experience and uh, your view on the world. I'm always... Well, now I, I talked to you this uh, two times and I'm so positive. So I, I just want to go out and change the world. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been a really great talk. Thanks for listening in to our podcast, Winning in the Nordics, presented by AppsFlyer. You know where to find us. Subscribe and leave us a review on Apple, Google, Spotify and all good podcast apps. <laughs>